Well, if you have a Bible, uh, you want to find the book of Philippians. We'll be there for quite a while. Um, We're starting a new series today called Grace Unbound, and this is just a study really in the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians, uh, if you read our In the Know this week, was written by Paul when he was in uh, prison. And, and what's interesting is, as you look at the book of Philippians, it's always tagged uh, this book, this letter of Paul that's about joy, and, and it really becomes meaningful when we realize Paul's circumstances at the time of his writing. And so um, we're going to ask God to just, to just lead us through this uh, in the way that he would to encourage our hearts. This morning, if there's one thing that I could say with a lot of confidence and be pretty sure of, it's this. We could all tell a story, at least most of us. We could all tell a story of a day 10 years ago, a morning that we woke up and everything had changed. We've learned much in a decade since that morning. We learned much on that day itself. One of the things we learned, probably one of the greatest lessons we've learned is this. We are prone, very prone, to take things for granted. We learned that, that we take our way of life for granted. We learned that we take the servanthood of many emergency workers for granted. We learned that we take our freedom for granted. We, we learned that we take our security for granted. We, we learned that we take our relationships for granted. We learned, I hope, that we take our life and breath for granted. But you see, this isn't just in the physical realm. This isn't just about a day ten years ago that this thoughtlessness can creep in. There's greater realities in this world and the next. There's greater things that, that we tend to assume. There's more grievous things that, that we tend to look over and take for granted. They're not things of this world, but things of the next. Things that we ought not assume, but praise God for. As Paul begins a letter from prison to a church not all that unlike our own, this is what he writes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This morning, our goal is going to be to look at two ways that we are brought to join and partake in the glory of the gospel. And then the trick is going to be to put them together. 
But see, in both of these, our, our goal is to realize and recognize that God is behind our ability to join in the blessing and progress of the gospel. This is the thing. We, we don't want to be taking this for granted. We want to listen to what Paul is saying. We want to hear what God is doing in our lives as Christian people. Look at this in two ways. The first is this. Praise God. Praise God that you join in the progress of the gospel. Praise God that you join in the progress of the gospel. Paul says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. One of the facets that I think is important to get is that oftentimes in the New Testament, when Paul begins to write a letter, he'll often start with a thanksgiving for a group of people. Here's why I'm thankful for you, church in Colossae or Thessalonica or, or Philippi. Here's why I'm thankful. Or he'll begin with thanksgivings. Here, here's what I'm so thankful to God for. Here's what I see in your community of faith that, that just gives me such joy and excitement. And actually, those thanksgivings and prayers that, that begin these letters of Paul, in some sense, they set the tone for what the book is about. They set the tone for what Paul will end up talking about. So if he's thankful for partnership in the gospel, our ears should be up. This letter is about joy in the progress of the gospel. This is absolutely what Philippians is about. I make my prayer for you with joy. Why? Because, because you're partnering in this message. Going forward. And this is exactly what fellowship is. This, this word partnering or holding something in common. It, it's really the idea of, of holding a, a common goal, a common purpose, a, a common burden. I mean, this is what we talk about when we, even when we talk about these groups, we're talking about true biblical fellowship because what that is is holding our faith in common, walking down this road of faith and discipleship in Jesus Christ together, realizing that you're, you're not going to do it on your own and you need people around you. This is the same idea that Paul is using here when he talks about the gospel advancing in this world. He's saying, you're partnering with me. You're holding this same thing in common so that it can advance the way we all desire it to. You've become partners. You've shared this vision. You've shared this burden. You've shared this struggle. Many of you have shared in this sacrifice. You've shared the cost. And so Paul can say, your partnership causes me to be thankful. Verse 4, he says, I make my prayer for you all with joy. With joy. And, and that's really emphasized in the text, this idea of joy, that, that this joy wells up because of what they're doing, because he looks at this group of people who has done whatever they need to do to join in progressing the name of Christ and the glory of God in Christ throughout the world. And so Paul would look upon a church, and may, maybe God would look upon a church and say, how are we doing in advancing the gospel? Can I look at a church with joy could the apostle look at this church with joy because we're partnering in the gospel and advancing the gospel and sacrificing for the gospel in our neighborhood and in our cities and in our world? This is what causes Paul great joy because they were, they were laboring. 
They were striving after the reward. They were struggling to advance the name of Christ. In fact, listen to this snapshot of this community of faith. Paul, later in this letter, will say this. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that is when it began to spread, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. The partnership of this church meant a great deal to Paul. They, they jumped in with him and they were willing to struggle and they were willing to sacrifice and they were willing to give and they were willing to pray. But more than that, the struggle came to them personally. This was a congregation that not only partnered with Paul in his struggle, but, but began to experience struggles of their own. Later in chapter 1, Paul says this, It's been given to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It's been given to you to suffer. It, it wasn't just that this, this church could look at this apostle, that they have this relationship with this man who was planning churches and being beaten and thrown in prison for the gospel and say, great, we'll finance it. No. This, this group of people said, yes, we'll finance it and we'll do it ourselves as well. We're in this fight. This is what partnership is. This is what fellowship in the gospel advance is. That we are all in this together. And the struggling and the suffering that our brothers and sisters around the world have right now might come to us. But either way, we're partners in this gospel advance. This is why I began with this statement. Praise God that you join in the progress of the gospel. Praise God that you join in the progress of the gospel. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I've talked about this before. I'm going to zero in on this idea of your partakers with me of grace. I've, I've talked about this before, that, that grace is, at its core, a, a kindness, a benefit, a blessing that you do not deserve. It's, it's unmerited. This type of grace is not something that, that you can work for, that you can prove yourself worthy of. You're not going to do enough things in order for God to finally say, oh, great, well, now, now I'm willing. Okay, Grace is, by definition, something that overcomes our inadequacy and our failure and even our sin and and comes to us in the kindness of God that is undeserved. But there's a nuance in the New Testament. There's a way that grace is spoken of that isn't just about uh, the mercy of God, the grace of God in this message of the gospel, but that goes further than this, that is a blessing and kindness that empowers those who have come to believe the gospel. This is now a blessing to us, an empowerment to us, a gracious working of God in our lives to do something, to accomplish something. I'll show you what I mean. Romans 12, Paul says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The grace given to us empowers service. Paul said of his own ministry, Of this gospel I was made a minister, 
according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me according to the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This grace was given, this empowerment was given that I might do this ministry. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, my gra- uh, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Probably the most clear view that we get on this is in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, again speaking of his own ministry, says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. That is the kind of grace that Paul is talking about here. You are partakers with me of grace. You are partakers with me in this power of God that is working through us. You you see this empowerment and this strength and this support that God is giving to all of us so that we might defend the gospel, so that we might confirm the gospel, so that we might advance the gospel of Jesus in this world. And this is why I say praise God that you can join in this endeavor. It's, it's him at work within you, giving you the strength, giving you the power, giving you the security to do what needs to be done to accomplish that commission that he gave to all of us in Matthew 28. Last night I was reading through and getting ready to preach and I wrote these two questions down. Are you seeing his empowering grace in your life? Because Because many of you, I I honestly think, would probably say, you know, I don't. I don't. I don't see any powerful working of God. And if I'm to be real honest, there's been a lot of times in my life and ministry where I'm going, I don't know that I'm seeing this. And it caused me to question, the second question I wrote down was this. Are you joining in the struggle to advance the gospel? We, we can go down our own path and we can say, I'm here and this is what I would like to do and look at what all I'm doing and God, what, can, you, can you bless me? Can you empower me? Can you, for crying out loud, look at what I'm doing. Or you can say, that path over there is the path where God's grace reigns. You can say, I, I want to get on board to the thing that God is doing. I want to join in the advance of the gospel. I want to join in the struggle to make God's name known among the earth and advance his glory because you know what? This is the path that he's empowering. And so the question isn't just, am I experiencing the grace of God? The question is, where are you that you would expect to experience the grace of God? Could Paul say this of you? You're partnering in the gospel and you're partaking of the grace of God with me. See, at the end of the day, we will lay every success at the feet of Christ. We will lay every triumph at the feet of Christ. In the final estimation, on that final day, we will say with Paul, it was not I. It was the grace of God that was at work within me. And so, this word calls us today to praise our God that we can join by his grace in the advancement and the progress of the gospel. 
But we're, we're incomplete if this all we see here. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer, all my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The second thing that I think we must say from this text is simply this. Praise God that you join in the blessing of the gospel. Yes, we can talk about advance, but praise God that you join in the blessing of the gospel. The reason that it's vital to get this is because of the connection of these two things. Okay? Paul says a couple of things. I thank God because you're joining in the gospel. And then he says, I'm, I'm convinced that God's working in you and that he'll complete that work. Now the connection between those two is vital to understand. These people are joining to, in to advance the gospel because they've been affected by it. And this isn't all that different from all of us, really. I, I can remember back to when I was first saved. Many of you could, could reiterate the same story. When you were first saved, the, the impulse that you had was to get everybody else saved. Is anybody, amen, amen me, okay? I don't know why, but, but we kill that somehow. Somehow that gets killed, it gets squashed. I wish that it didn't. I pray that it's renewed in all of us. But we have this impulse. Why? Because the gospel's affected us and we want it to affect everybody else. We've been saved and we want everybody else to get saved. That's what happens in the gospel. And I think that, that this is part of what Paul is doing. He's showing us that God's work in us in salvation is intimately tied and connected to our work in this world for the glory of his son. One of the most challenging lines I read as I was preparing to preach this text was this from a guy named Ralph Martin. Here's what he wrote. We today take the lesson to heart that the sign of our professed love for the gospel is the measure of sacrifice we are prepared to make in order to help its progress. The sign of our professed love for the gospel is the measure of sacrifice we're prepared to make in order to help its progress. In other words, there's a connection between what we do for the glory of God in the name of Christ and the glory of what he's already done in us. Let me show you how I get it from this text. Verse 3. Thank my God in all my remembrance, always in every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of those instances uh, where having multiple translations is helpful for you. Okay? Uh, in the NIV translation, I want you to look at verse 6. If you have an NIV, you'll see this. The NIV at the beginning of verse 6 does not say, and I am sure of this. It says, and being confident of this, or being confident of this. Now, they do a great job with this, in the sense that what that does is it connects verse 6 to the thanksgiving that Paul is rendering. So he says, I'm, I'm thankful that you're in the gospel. I'm thankful that you partner being confident of this. In other words, I'm, I'm thankful for the, that you're partnering in the gospel because I'm sure of God doing something in you. They're connected. 
But the NIV fails at this point. The, the, the word confident is, is not a very good translation at all. The ESV says, I am sure of this. And that's much better. I'm sure or I'm convinced. And so the best way we could put this together is, is like this. I thank God for your partnership in the gospel having been convinced of something. My conviction of God's work in you is why I'm so thankful that you join in the gospel. I know where your partnership came from. This is where I would go back again to verse 5. Where Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's a question that you could raise here in this text that your partnership in the gospel could mean one of two things, really. Some people take this and say, your partnership in the gospel, just what I was talking about, you're, you're partnering in the advance of the gospel, um, evangelism and, and missions and, and outreach here in our city and in your neighborhood, that, that you're partnering in, in the message of Jesus going forward. That's one way you could look at this. The other way that you could look at this is to say, Paul is praising God, not just for their partnership in the advance of the gospel, but in, in the very blessings and salvation that it offers. I thank God that, in other words, I thank God that you're in Christ. I thank God that you've been reconciled to the Father. I thank God that he's adopted you into his family. I thank God that, that he has declared you righteous in his sight even though you're an unrighteous sinner because of his son. I thank God that you're partners with me in what God has done for us. You say, well, how should we take it then? I, I think both ways. I think Paul might even mean to communicate both things. And it's just what I said. The, the, the amount to which we, we glory in what God has done for us overflows in our advancing of the same message. I think that's exactly what Paul means. But look at what Paul is convinced of here. I am sure of this, or I have been convict, convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a few things which are important to get here. The first one is that this work that God is doing is a work that he is doing in us personally. Each one of us, in other words. This, this isn't just look at the church, look at the, the, the big church at Philippi, or, or look at this church on Barnes and Indian Trail Road and say, okay, well, God's going to continue this work in this congregation. Now, that might be true, but I think this is more personal, that God's looking at each one of us and saying, I'm at work. He says this work will continue until the day of Christ, that Paul really, throughout the New Testament, picks up this language. In the Old Testament, it was the day of the Lord. If you've done your Bible read-through, you see this all over the place. The day of the Lord was a day where many things happened, where God would judge the earth, where God would save his people, where he would usher in a new creation in which righteousness dwells. This was the day of the Lord. And Paul adapts this and says, well, it's the day of Christ. Because it is only in Christ that all of those things will find their fulfillment. He is the judge. He is the deliverer. He is the Lord who will appear at the last day. And you see, it's on that day that, that the judgment of God won't, won't just be 
judging nation from nation. It won't just be this church did well and this church maybe didn't. It will be each one of us standing before our Lord and our Master. And this is why it is so encouraging that this is personally directed to us. I'm sure of this. I'm convinced of this. That he who began a good work in you, he will complete it. The second truth that is important to grasp here is the work that God began. So what, it, what did you start, Lord? What is it that I should be excited that you're continuing? I would say it's the work of the gospel. It's the work of salvation. It's the work of belief. It's the work of repentance. It's the work of conversion. This is the work that God began in them. This is the work that God began in you if you've come to Jesus. And this is the one that he'll continue. I know that's hard for many of us to get our minds around. It is for me as well. But we must not let Scripture fall at this point. In fact, we, we need to do justice to these texts that, that we come to from Paul that talks about God's side of, of our joining in the blessings of salvation. But, but not only recognizing them, we need to do what Paul is doing here. We need to praise God for them. We need to thank God for them. Don't you see? This is what he's thanking God for. I thank you that you, you partner in the gospel because I'm convinced that he who began this work will continue it. He'll complete it. We'll see this later in the book and, and actually it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. The, the church at Philippi, you can read about this in Acts 16. The whole story is there. We'll read a part of it. When Paul first came to this town, here's part of what happened as he's establishing the church. Acts 16. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in that city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come to gather one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. When Paul talks about God beginning a good work and God completing this good work. It is in this context that Paul saw this very thing happen. He saw the Lord opening hearts and, and his hope and, and his conviction was that God would continue that in the heart of a believer. See, there's better news than a mere beginning. He says, I'm convinced of this, that, that God who began in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. He will bring it to completion. Not just that, that when the gospel came, you, you reacted to it, that the power of the Holy Spirit was at work, but that something, something else is going on. There is an accomplishment that we look forward to. It's funny, this word completion in verse 6, if you look at that in your Bible, completion, it comes from the same root word that Jesus uttered on the cross when he said, it is finished. 
See, this is not about God completing a work in his son to provide salvation. This is about his work in you to keep you faithful to that very son who provided it. God finished it at the cross, and he will finish it in you. And that is cause for great thanksgiving. At this point, it might, it might be helpful, we'll do this quick, um, to take what I'll call a theological sidebar. Okay, so, so let's leave the sermon for just a second. And I want to I try to help a little bit because some of you have a question in your mind, I think. Uh, I, I've fielded this question a lot over my years of ministry. And the question is this. Do you believe in eternal security? Many of you have heard that term. Do you believe in eternal security? Now, usually when I'm asked this, what people are saying... Um, is I have a relative or a close friend and they don't go to church and they don't practice Christianity. In fact, I don't know that they even claim to be a believer. But when we were kids, um, we went through class together and we were 14 and we got baptized together uh, and they professed their faith in Christ. And the question is, literally, are they getting in? The question is, are they secure eternally or I've even heard it put this way, do they have their fire insurance? I've even sat with friends um, and relatives who, who would talk to me about, about Christianity and, and they would say that same thing. I went to a summer camp uh, when I was 17 and they said, yeah, we, well, we did that whole thing. We did that whole thing. Uh, conversation progresses and they're New Age universalists who deny the exclusivity of Christ, the deity of Christ, deny every point of the gospel, essentially. Are they getting in? And so my answer is this. If that is what is meant by eternal security, that I will say that I absolutely do not believe in it. I absolutely do not believe in that. So you say, so you believe people can lose their salvation. Not a chance. I do not believe in eternal security the way I just described it. But I do believe and I worship a sovereign God, a securing God who begins the work in the heart of a person and he will not let it fall. You see, our security in the Bible, if you, if you read and really care to think about this, our security in the Bible is never, never focused on a profession. It is focused on a person. It is focused on a faithful God and a faithful Savior. It is always by faith in Jesus Christ that a person is saved. And so if a person comes to me and says, I I prayed the prayer, I did that, I I was a younger man, but I don't really believe in sin. I think that's an archaic concept. I don't really believe in Christ the way you tell me I should as Lord and Savior. He's a good teacher and we should listen to his teachings, but he's not the Savior. He's not divine. He didn't rise from the dead. And what can I say to that person? I can say I have zero assurance for you biblically. Salvation is always in a current, abiding faith in the work of Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness. Now, here's, here's who I have assurance for. I have assurance for Christians who are persevering. Last week, actually, we ended Jude, and, and the, the calling was to keep yourselves in the gospel by building yourselves in your most holy faith and, and praying in the Holy Spirit and, and waiting for the appearing of the Son of God. 
Keep yourselves there. Persevere. Keep going. So you're persevering, and and as you're persevering, you're praising the God who is at work in you. You're praising God, realizing, I don't just do this of my own effort. That God has a part in this. That I'm safe in his hands. Jesus himself says this in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I give them eternal life. They will not perish. That is, that is literally in Greek about the strongest way you can make a negation or, or say something is not going to happen. It's, it's not, gonna, it's not, never, never going to happen. From the words of Christ himself. In Jude, we saw that we are beloved and we are called and we are kept and then Jude ends his letter by saying, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. We praise God that he is faithful. Some of you hear all that and you think, well, that that takes away my part in it. I was doing pretty good on my own and I'd like to continue on my own. Brother, that's not a part I want to have. I don't want to have the part of this where where I jump ship and I forsake the Lord. I I was in here the other day. We We were getting all these pamphlets ready for you and my girls were running around in here and I have these moments once in a while I was I was looking into the sanctuary and just like looking at all the chairs and my girls were running around and the thought popped into my mind and I don't know why it did but I thought Lord I don't ever want to be that pastor who who falls and leaves the ministry and leaves the faith and devastates people and the thought that ran through my mind was Lord Thank you thus far for keeping me faithful. Will you continue it? Continue it in me. Because I am, I am very weak and I am very sinful. And if it is not for the grace of God working in me and continuing to work in me, I will fall. Say, well, I want to pardon all of this. You want the part, that where, you, want the part where, where you get to spurn the Son of God. You want the part where you get to jump ship and forsake him. You want the part where you get to wave your, face, your fist in the face of God and forsake the message that can save you. You want that part? I had that part. I had that part for 20 years until God's grace overwhelmed me. And I didn't see it as, well, what a, what a great opportunity I have to do all of this evil in God's sight. I see it as bondage. And the freest moment of my life was when his grace poured into me and I could rise up and repent and flee to Jesus. That's the freest moment you'll ever have in your life. 
And that work that he began, he says, he will continue. That is the work of God that I want in my life. That is the work of God, honestly, that I want in this church. I pray this for you. I pray this for you who have come to faith in Christ. I pray that you would persevere, that he would mature you, that he would be faithful, and that you would walk forward. I want this work in all of our lives so that we are, we are persevering Christians, persevering Christians who are always, at every turn, praising the preserving God. Thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, having been convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Paul praises God for these brothers and sisters because he knows that what God started, he'll finish. This morning, don't take anything for granted. You'll watch TV and you'll hear remembrance. We shouldn't take our lives for granted. We shouldn't take our security for granted, our freedom for granted. But go beyond that. Surely, 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 we should not take our lives in Christ for granted. Praise God that you join in the progress of the gospel because you join in the blessing of the gospel by his grace.